0: Welcome to The Crashdown, a podcast where I talk all about the television show Roswell. My name is CJ, and today we're talking all about episode 5, Missing. Again, they're really nailing it with these spot-on titles. The main plot of today's episode is all about Liz's journal. It goes missing, and so we get a little mini detective episode. I love when there's a theme to these episodes. It really drives the plot, and it gives us a fun framework in which to explore these characters. I think in the first season, this show is really trying to find its footing, and so it delves into these little play scenarios. It's so much fun. We also get one of my favorite storylines starring one of my favorite characters, Michael. He's obsessed with the key and the vision he had, and guess what? He's going to art class to try and work it out. Oh my goodness, you guys. Love it. There's also a little bit of a Topolsky reveal. So for all of you out there who have been suspicious of her, guess what? We're going to figure out what her deal really is. Now today's episode starts with a voiceover again. Liz is walking down the main street at night, and it's like two feet away from the crashdown, but she's worried. In her head, this monologue is racing about Somehow the streets you've walked your entire life don't feel safe anymore. And you have to wonder, is it the world that's changed or is it you? I think this is a topic that every girl can relate to. I think every one of us, and maybe every person but more so with young girls, every one of us has been on a walk at night or you're going back to your car from someone's apartment or a concert And all of a sudden, things shift. It seems like people are looking at you, you're hearing weird noises. All of a sudden, maybe the streets turn empty. And then it gets really eerie because if you yelled for help, maybe there wouldn't be anyone around. And so Liz is going through this. Now that she knows the truth about aliens and her paranoia is really ramping up, she feels like she needs to watch her back. And just when she's trying to talk herself down, saying, She's getting in her own head. She's just feeding into this fear. She gets home and finds that her diary is missing. Although she doesn't call it a diary, she calls it a journal. Because that's what scientists call it. And we notice again in this episode, semantics are really important to Liz. The precise meaning of the words that she's choosing matter to her. She has picked those for a reason. So she doesn't really call it her diary. It's her journal. Because it's scientific. She's chronicling her life and everything that's been happening to her. And when she says everything, she means everything. As soon as she finds out that this journal is missing, she rushes over to Maria's house, knocks on her door, and tells her, I put it all down. Getting shot, Max healing her, what he is, what all of the aliens are. And of course, Maria doesn't try and talk her down. She goes into full investigation mode. And I love this. Detective DeLuca. We get this in future episodes too. Maria is the type of person, although she can be nervous, that believes she can do almost anything. And I guess because maybe she's watched a lot of crime shows, she knows exactly what to look for. She's going to try and reconstruct the crime, she is going to look for opportunity, and she's going to try and assess people's motives. So, throughout this episode, there are a lot of really, really good red herrings about who actually committed this crime. And for any of you who are watching this for the first time, I would love to know who you really thought did it before the big reveal at the end, which I'm going to save. Who do you think committed this crime? Should we go through some of the suspects? First, you have Alex. Just a few nights prior, they had been studying together in Liz's room. And when Maria's trying to break down what happened when the last time she saw it was, she realized that Liz did leave Alex alone for a few minutes. And because he's been acting so suspicious lately, or rather, they've been acting so suspicious that it's starting to make Alex question their friendship, that gives him a great motive. Motive combined with opportunity. He feels left out, he wants to know what's going on, and he was alone. Liz doesn't want to admit there's a problem, though. She, again, semantics, tries to convince herself that the journal is simply misplaced. I'm using air quotes, misplaced. But when she searches everywhere and still can't find it, she realizes that she has to tell max so she goes up to him in school but is cut off by michael who sidles up to them in the hallway eating a carrot like a straight up peeled carrot like bugs bunny straight up bugs bunny and he is so rude to her in this scene I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear my voice change every time I talk about Michael. (laughs) I literally just start laughing as soon as I think about this guy. (laughs) And this scene where he just walks up eating this carrot, I genuinely want to know, was that the actor? Like, was he hungry in between takes and he just didn't bother putting it down? Is that from craft services? Or is that a character choice? Like... Where would Michael get carrots? I don't think his foster dad in the trailer park is buying fresh fruits and vegetables. He's probably buying packs of cigarettes and beer. So did he get this carrot from the cafeteria? Does he buy his own produce? Did he steal this carrot? Where did he peel and wash this carrot? I have so many questions about where this freaking carrot came from, and I, I don't know what better and what's worse if that's an acting choice or if that's like a character choice I really don't know at first I thought oh maybe it's like beef jerky or something but no it's definitely crunchy and he's just eating it through this whole scene where he walks up And Liz is acting all guilty that she's talking to Max in the hallway and is trying to explain, Oh, I just bumped into him. It was all a coincidence because she can't let on what happened. She's having a hard enough time trying to tell Max she definitely can't face Michael. And then he basically just dismisses her. He's like, Okay, bye, Liz. And she just walks off. Classic Michael. He can be so rude when he wants, but yet endearing and charming and hilarious. Some people say that it's kind of a wooden performance but i think there's so many levels of him trying to play it cool i want to know what you guys think i'm plugging it right here at the beginning you guys the crashdown podcast at gmail.com i am begging for your letters or shoot me a quick one on twitter it's the crashdown pod i mean that's as many characters as i could fit in so the crashdown pod Check me out. I know I haven't tweeted much. I will try and get out there more. But seriously, if you guys tweet at me, I will definitely retweet you. I will favorite you. I will respond to you. And if you want, we can have a discussion right here, not quite live, but on this podcast. If you shoot me some questions, I can read it. I want to know what you think. Before we get into more Michael shenanigans, though, because so many shenanigans... I want to continue this list of suspects. So next on the list, we have got Miss Topolsky. When Maria goes to confront Alex, that's her first suspect. When she goes to confront Alex, he does not take it well. He's been cut out of the loop already so many times, and now he's actually being accused of stealing from some of his best friends. He can't take it anymore, and he tells them the next time they have an impulse to talk to him, let it pass. And this makes me so sad because just a scene earlier, he was happy-go-lucky Alex. When they were first theorizing it might be him, he shows up and of course they have no idea how to cover, so they're acting even more awkward, which just sets him off in the long run. Don't they see that it's a vicious cycle? Anyway, They try and placate him for a few minutes, and then he says that he has to go to gym class. And again, we get another reference ahead of its time to Dodgeball. And he gives them this great double thumbs up and makes this super smiley face and asks them to wish him luck. And in this scene, you can see he's frustrated. They're shutting him out. They're not telling him what's going on. But he's still joking around. He's trying to keep it light. So when Maria accuses him, that's the straw that broke the camel's back, and he is done. And this is where Topolsky swoops in. She sees that he's vulnerable, so she invites him into her office. In this scene, it's evident that Topolsky is using Alex. She actually uses a line that teenage girls can never spot the good ones, while giving him this really flirty look. It's so wrong. But she can see. He's got a little crush, so she's going to use whatever it takes. This scene is where it all really starts to shift with her character. She's sitting there letting him pour his heart out, talking about friendships and people changing and how frustrating that is. But then he lets it slip that people he thought he could trust have turned on him and that he can't believe his best friends would actually believe that he would steal their journal. And as soon as he says that, that Liz's diary is missing, Topolsky's eyes light up and there's a shift in the music. And instantly, it's more on edge. The tension starts building. And as soon as he leaves her office, she picks up the phone. She dials a number and someone on the other end of the line says, Control. She says a code word and then promptly asks for backup. What the heck is that all about? You think the school board's got emergency guidance counselors they're just sending out to the scene whenever some mopey kid gets falsely accused of a crime? I don't think so. So, hmm. Well, now it seems like shady Miss Topolsky has motive. Next on the list, you've got Liz's mother. When Liz is having a meltdown, Searching her house for this journal, her mom comes home and tells her, "Oh, Alex tried to call you, but I guess you're not in a hurry to see him and Liz immediately latches on to that. How would you know that? How would you know that I wouldn't want to talk to him? That's the kind of thing that I've only ever written down so hmm, maybe she was doing laundry. Maybe Snoopy Mom wanted to see what's going on. You saw last episode that she was a little bit jealous of the relationship that Liz had with her grandmother so I wouldn't put it past her in a lot of other shows in a lot of real life situations I think if a parent had the opportunity to snoop they would take it finally I think the last real credible suspect that we have on our list is Kyle poor old Kyle Valenti him and Liz are over now And it's like something has switched inside him. He's not happy-go-lucky sweet puppy dog Kyle anymore. He's heartbroken, mean, vindictive Kyle. He's got his posse together and he is coming for them. Anyone who stands in his way. Max and his friends because he's convinced he had something to do with this breakup. And Liz... One moment it seems like he might like her, but I think there's so much hurt and heartache there... That he's gone cold and actually kind of aggressive with her. And that is great motivation. He thinks something's up with Max already. He's jealous. He wants to know what's going on with Liz. That makes him a really great suspect. So that's the basis of our little murder mystery. Those are our suspects. And throughout the episode, we keep getting clues about each one of them. So we keep switching back and forth. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's him. And I love that. It's a simple plot, yet it's really believable. And there's, like, twice as many suspects as on a normal crime show. Normally there's two or three, and it's pretty obvious halfway through the episode, you know who did it. In this one, it's not until, like, maybe the last ten minutes that it really becomes clear what's going on here. Now, after running all the scenarios through her head, searching everywhere she possibly could, Liz comes to the conclusion that she has to come clean with Max. She goes over to the UFO Center, where he's working, in a very tacky, yellow, mustard vest. It's like, you know the Walmart vest? They always just wear blue vests. Like, instead of a shirt or a logo or just colors, it's just wear this vest and they'll know you work here. It's one of those, but... Like, a puke mustard yellow color. Oh, God. We were talking about uniforms the other day. This is way uglier than Liz's outfit. Like, Liz's is way over the top, but it's adorable. This one, no one would be flattered by this color. So Liz finally works up the nerve to go and talk to him. Max is there in the back rooms with Milton, great boss Milton, and they're in that secret archive file room where Milton keeps all his most prized findings, facts, research, books, all that sort of thing. And he finds Max searching the aisles and decides to give him a little bit of a critique about what he's looking for, and then gives him a few suggestions. One of the books being Atherton's Among Us. As soon as Liz shows up, though, Milton does not keep Max. He knows that if a Beautiful young lady comes a calling. You do not keep her waiting, so Liz asks to speak to him in private. But again, doesn't know how to start the conversation off. So she just kind of asks him, "What's up?" He says, "Not much," and then asks her, "What's up?" And she says, "Not much." And he's like, "You know, this is the kind of conversation we could have had out front." So the time has come, and she finally has to tell him the truth. But she begs to give her one day. And she promises that she will figure things out. She talks to Alex, but that's a no-go. She talks to Kyle. She confronts him on the basketball courts. Well, they have a few confrontations, actually. She tries to hint at it a few times. But the thing is, now that they're broken up, Kyle doesn't have to try anymore. He doesn't have to placate her anymore. And he's not going to. And he's going to be rather antagonistic, to her now she used to be immune from that but he's coming for them now so when she's confronting him he's throwing it right back in her face and again classic Kyle he doesn't know exactly what they're talking about but he is going to banter and quip with the best of them a prime example that I found was during that conversation by the basketball court Liz keeps fishing for more information from him But Kyle says he's an open book. She can ask him anything. He's not the one with secrets. And Liz immediately thinks, Is that why you think we broke up? Because I have secrets? And then she tells him she really wants it back. Kyle, I really need that back. And he says, We all need something back, Liz. And then kind of saunters away. And again, he's trying to keep that quip up. But now he's tipped his hand. She thinks Max is right that, yes, it probably was Kyle. Because he's suspicious because Kyle keeps picking on him, too. He actually confronted him in the crashdown when Max was sitting there with Michael and Isabel, enjoying a nice dinner, reading his silly sci-fi books. Kyle comes up to him and point-blank tells him, I'm on to you, Evans, and then storms away. So between Liz's conversation and Max's conversation, They know that Kyle did this. So they race over to his house to search for the journal. In the meantime, though, Topolsky's backup has arrived. We see two men in suits, and now she's in this black power suit. And one of the men is complaining because he cut his vacation short for this. But it's very clear by their dynamic that he is subservient to her. And she refers to him as Agent what? And the reason that she called in backup is because she believes this diary is going to be the first piece of credible evidence about first-hand alien encounters. Yes, that's right. She's working with an agency That's investigating aliens. We knew there had to be more to her. No math teacher gets that problem wrong. No guidance counselor lies to students to try and get them to trust her. She's terrible at her job. Because guess what? She's amazing at her job. Her real job. She has unknowingly already encountered her first alien. And she is determined to get that diary. This isn't some farmer in the middle of nowhere claiming to be abducted and probed this is a straight a student from a good family who's writing realistic encounters well realistic i don't know how realistic but first hand accounts this is incredible so max and liz arrive at kyle's they knock on the door calling out for anyone but the lights are off and it doesn't seem like anyone's inside So they try the door handle, but the door's already open. That's strange. They go inside to search, a little bit reluctantly, but this is Max's life on the line. They need to find this. So they go to Kyle's room. They start searching through his stuff. They search his closet and his drawers and his dressers, and Max finds a picture of Kyle and Liz hidden under his bed, but that's when they hear something. There's this great shot down the hallway, and it's such... A horror movie shot of you just know someone's inside the house it's this kind of shaky camera moving down the hallway and then all of a sudden a figure crosses in front of the door frame it's that like jumping scary horror movie oh my god moment so they go out of the bedroom back into the main area it's kind of a bungalow so the living room area that's when they see headlights flash through the front windows Kyle's home They run out the back and escape just in time, but they never found the journal. Who was it? Who was there in the house? I have my theories. I used to think it was someone else, but now I think I know. Do you know who it is? Do you have theories about who was in that house? It seemed to be a darkly dressed figure... It was just the torso, really. I don't know if it was a jacket or a coat or what, but it moved quickly in front of the frame. So who do you think got there first? Let's drop all this tense nonsense for a moment, though, and get on to a much happier storyline. My voice is changing again. That's right, Michael. So this whole time, he's been focusing on this flash. I think the reason it's so important to him is because his powers aren't as developed as Isabelle and Max, this means a lot to him. So he's really focusing in on this. And actually near the beginning of the episodes, right after the credits, we get a scene with him waking up in the middle of the night, rolling out of bed, picking up a notepad and a pencil, and getting ready to draw. And we see little bits of his power in this episode. He sharpens a pencil with his hand he just kind of puts the pencil into his fist and you hear that kind of and he pulls it out and blows the dust off and it's perfectly sharpened. This work of art that he creates in the middle of the night though is so important to him that he goes over to Max's house and knocks on the window there and he just had to show Max his drawing. Max though is not very impressed. It's the middle of the night and he woke him up to show him his drawing which consists of a semicircle. It's literally just a half arc on a piece of paper, run over a couple of times so the line's been darkened. It's literally just not even a perfect circle, just half of a really crooked circle. He has a great nonchalant intro too, though, because when he pounds on the window to wake him up, the first thing that he says to Max is, Hey, man, what's going on? And of course, Max's answer was, I was sleeping. But obviously, if you came here, you want something. He doesn't say that, but he lets him in. And Max is not impressed by this drawing at all. He thanks him for feeling the need to share his dreams of semicircles. All he wants to do is go back to bed. So he lets Michael sleep in the sleeping bag on the floor again in his room and is hoping that that's kind of the end of it. It isn't, though. And the next day, Michael actually shows up for class for once. The teacher is shocked. He hasn't been there in weeks, but he just really felt like drawing. Honestly, though, if you have an underachiever like Michael showing up to class, eager to participate, you're not going to argue with it. So he just basically lets him have an easel and have at it. His next attempt is pretty much the same as the first, just another half arc. He actually just adds a bottom to the semicircle not a perfect circle. It's kind of flattened, so it looks a bit like a clam, or how you'd paint a rock, or even the shape of an eye, that almost almond shape. But after a while, he's drawing it on every surface all the time. At that dinner at the crashdown that I mentioned where Kyle confronts them, Michael's actually drawing on his placemat, and Triangles start making their way into this semicircle. It's starting to take shape. I don't know if you remember the flashes from a couple episodes previous, but you did get that kind of white half moon with these weird patterns over it. And then he starts switching mediums, pencils charcoals then he gets into acrylic paint and after being in class a couple days he actually starts going into the studio in his free time to work on this stuff he puts his headphones on and he's just jamming out and now you've got colors mixed in there you've got patterns diamonds triangles shapes it's actually really interesting work and the teacher sees him through the window and gets a brilliant idea He should enter this into a local exhibition, which is exactly what he does with this finished work. Max and Isabel do not think this is good. The picture's actually really good now, according to Michael, and that is a problem. Even though they don't know what it means, if this means something to the wrong person, they could be outing themselves. They could be giving clues to their enemies. They don't even know who these enemies are. They just have a feeling they're out there. And if I were them, I think that's how I would structure my life as well. Prepare for the worst. After seeing all this talent, the teacher really wants to encourage Michael to explore this newfound talent. He points out that when the class drew fruit, he drew this. When they did human figure studies, he drew this. So now, when the class is supposed to be sketching a statue that's basically just the torso, it doesn't have arms or legs or a head, just the torso, Michael reluctantly flips to a new page in his sketchbook and promptly draws a stick figure. The teacher can see that, no, he only wants to focus on the dome and basically just lets him be. And Michael has this great little smug smirk at the end of this scene, like, ha ha, that's what you get. Maybe I'll show up to class, but if I do, it's only because I'm doing it on my agenda. I'm not here to participate in your class. I've got to draw this thing. In this conversation, though, Michael gets a key piece of information. The teacher is begging him, please, you need to draw something other than a geodesic dome. What? That's right. He explains to him that what he's been drawing over and over again is actually a postmodern type of house the architecture at the time was trying to be inventive so they structured it like this geodesic dome now at least michael has some sort of clue but where is this place is it a real place when did it exist if it ever did and why does it have anything to do with him getting back to our main plot though max has given liz the day They didn't find the journal at Kyle's house, and he can't wait any longer. He has to tell Isabel and Michael the truth. He lets them know that it's not her fault at all in any way, but that Liz did keep a written record of everything that happened that day at the crashdown and ever since, about the truth, about who they are, and where they really came from. Isabel loses her mind a little bit. It's almost too much for her to process. And Michael is just stone-faced. And that's the one that Max is really worried about. We all know how impulsive Michael can be. What is he going to do when he finds out that Liz could have potentially exposed them to the entire world by being so reckless as to write it down like a silly teenage girl. Like the silly teenage girl that she is. So he shows up at the crash down. It's after hours. Liz is there all alone. And he just stalks in. He comes up to her in almost a really threatening manner. He comes behind the counter and right up to her. He says that Max told him everything. That she wrote it all down. And he tells her that was not a smart thing to do. Liz says, I know that now. And Michael says, well... I knew that a week ago. And here we get another flashback. I love that when people are talking about memories, they actually go back and kind of show that scene. So a week ago, he was sitting at one of the corner booths, and he was there late. Liz was closing up. She was sitting at the counter writing something, and he asked her if it was homework, and she said, yeah, a little bit. But it wasn't homework. He knew then that something was going on. And his delivery during this scene is priceless. It's really kind of hard-boiled detective reveal. You know in all those murder mysteries when they're gathering people up and they're recreating the series of events that led to the crime before they expose what really happened? He's pacing back and forth and he even goes so far as to pick up a knife from one of the cutlery stations. He tells her he didn't want the situation to get this out of control. But he needed to know the truth. He needed to know who they could really trust. It's hard to know who your friends are. So, he took the journal. That's right. Michael has had it this whole time. But I've just got to ask, is he a really slow reader? Is he reading, like, two pages a night? How long does he really need to take this journal out to finish it? Or did he just think he was never going to return it again? I don't know. That's my only little loophole. But he gives it back to her. And she asks why he didn't just destroy it. But he says anyone who reads that journal, they're not going to know about them. They're going to know all about her. And he even goes so far as to say, thanks for giving me one more reason to envy Max Evans. And uh, it's sweet because it shows she obviously cares. And he knows that Max cares about her. So he can see just how lucky these two are. But it also throws into contrast just how unlucky he is. He doesn't have family. He doesn't have siblings. He doesn't have romantic interests. All he had were these two other aliens. And now he's losing them not just to these other friends and people, but through potential carelessness, like Liz has demonstrated, he might lose them and lose himself to government testing. And now that we know that Topolsky's involved and how close she is, that's a real threat now. And from this point, the season really takes off. We've got this conflict. We know who all our players are now. We know what the stakes are now. And we just have to hope that our main characters are going to make smart choices. At least the fact that Michael is now trusting Liz, that he knows that they have at least one friend in town. It gives them a lifeline. It gives them a tether. It gives them hope and backup and support. It gives them something to stay for, something to live for. And I can't wait to see those bonds grow even deeper. The more stress and strain that people are put under, the closer they become. Those connections that are forged through hardship are going to be there forever. Because if you can make it through those tough times, you can make it through anything. Now to wrap things up, Liz goes back to the UFO Center to tell Max that everything's going to be okay. They do this fun little bit where she says she finds herself there often these days. And he offers her a seasonal membership that's nineteen ninety nine that includes a guided tour and a box lunch. I half think he's joking, but then at the same time I'm like, no, I could see that totally being a deal that Milton would have. These weird, crappy, terrible lunch kits that I could definitely see as being leftovers from when this place was definitely some sort of army bunker. The whole thing is concrete and built underground. I bet these are just like army rations that are good until the year like 2050. So it's like, hey, buy a membership and I'll give you one of these dehydrated, you know, split pea dishes. I don't know. But Liz tells him that she found the journal or rather it found her. Ha 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 ha. But she said a customer returned it. Well, not a customer, a friend. But she really feels the need to explain this journal wasn't actually about science at all. Even though she'd like to think of herself as a rational being, what she experienced that day at the crashdown was all new. It opened up her world, and she needed a place where she could put those feelings into words so that one day in the future, if she met someone else and they touched her, she would know what that's supposed to feel like. In that journal, she put down how she really feels. And in that moment, Max asked to see it. But basically, she gives her equivalent, the very polite response, but the equivalent nonetheless, of a giant hell's no. Of course, she can't confess that. He keeps stonewalling her, so she's not going to pour her heart out to him and... Re- risk that rejection. There's way too much on the line, let alone even the alien dynamics of it. Max then gets to turn around and deliver the same news to Isabel and Michael. He tells them that Liz's journal is safe and that a good friend returned it. And we get another little smile from Michael because they are kind of friends now. There is a trust there. He sees that she really just does want the best for them. And I really think that's sweet. Max has trusted her all along, and she's slowly, one by one, winning them over. Isabella's definitely relieved. If only Michael would give up his painting, and Max would stop reading those silly books that he got from Milton. In this scene, he's reading the one by Atherton that's called Among Us. But Isabel just picks up the book and basically speed reads the way through it. She just flips the pages really fast and absorbs the information. So again, with these powers, why would you read slowly if you could read quick? Or does not everyone have that power? These things don't line up. It's very hit and miss what they choose to do. Unless he actually gains pleasure from reading slowly, I would just speed through everything. She thinks the whole thing is really tacky and lame, but when she gets to the back cover, she sees a photograph of the author, and in the background, there's that geodesic dome. She calls Max and Michael back to the table and freaks out. And again, next episode, we're gonna get into it. Oh my goodness. But this is their first real tangible clue. A key and a vision is not really much to go on. But having a photograph of an actual place associated with an actual person, now we're really making some headway here. Oh, I cannot wait for next time. But the whole episode wraps up again with a diary entry, October 28th. Liz is back and talking about how she used to pray for bigger things to happen in her life so that she could feel bigger. But when life gets bigger, your problems get bigger. And I wonder, in this scene, if the reason that we've had voiceovers the last couple of episodes is for continuity's sake. If this diary really was supposed to be missing, she wouldn't have been able to write in it. So, is this really clever craftsmanship that's going over people's heads? Or did everyone notice this and it was just me that didn't? I don't know, but I think that's a really interesting point. Maybe that's the reason it hasn't been every time. I don't know. Interesting stuff. Are there other connections like that that I haven't noticed? Should I be reading some of these fan forums? Can you guys do that for me? Can you guys be my, like, Roswell database? I'm sure there's someone out there who knows this show ten times better than I do. And to that, I say, message me. Talk to me. Maybe we could figure out something on Skype. I would love to have other opinions. So I'm going to say my email one more time. It's thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot me a line on Twitter, thecrashdownpod. It's really easy. It's the name of this show. I want to hear from you. But I think that sums up everything that I had to say about this episode. The Topolsky reveal, Michael exploring his talents, a detective case, along with progression in the overarching story of this season to figure out where these aliens are from, and what they're doing there. I also have to point out that Alex is rocking some wicked sideburns. They're like an inch and a half thick and go all the way to the bottom of his ears. They are huge, and I never noticed that in the other scenes. Was it like that in every episode? I'll have to watch out for it next time, too. I'm not Wanting to focus too much on the fashion because we know it was dated 1999, 2000, of course everything's going to look hideously unflattering, but these sideburns, man. I don't think most teenagers could grow that much facial hair. Anyways, every time I talk about this show, I get more and more and more excited. So I am going to have to pace myself, slow down, pull back. I really want to watch the next episode, but I'm going to wait a week so that I can hear from you guys. So until then, my name is CJ and thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you again next Monday.